0: Welcome back to the pilot's lounge today is Sunday, March 27th, and this is hold short episode number four. Today, we are going to be talking a little bit about recent events in aviation, some news. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about no fly zones, what they are. Uh, and we're not talking TFRs. We're talking like military enforced no fly zones, why they affect us. Uh, topic of conversation actually got brought up here recently, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, Obviously, everybody knows about what's been going on in Ukraine. We are not going to dive in super deep on the Ukraine situation as there are so many excellent outlets and resources out there for information. And if you want to learn more of the day-by-day occurrences that are going on uh, in Ukraine, I highly recommend you check out Northern Provisions or Debka or uh, there's some OSINT uh, outlets out there that give great up-to-date information about things that are occurring. And, uh, you know, those are there, go check them out. We're going to talk a little bit about one specific area of it, but I'm not going to dive into, uh, a whole overlay of what is going on in Ukraine without further ado. Let's go ahead and hop in this week. The women in aviation international held its largest and most successful, uh, gathering ever, at the 33rd annual international women in aviation conference that was held in Nashville uh, the 17th through the 20 I'm sorry the 17th through the 19th uh more than 4500 people from over 16 countries including Ga- uh Canada Ghana Nigeria Zimbabwe Ireland Brazil Germany Singapore Belize so many more uh they uh, they kind of drew some stats out uh, attendees were 68% women and 32% men this is huge and it's it's great to see uh the effort there to raise equality inside the community. More than $473,000 in scholarships were awarded, putting their total scholarships awarded in their history since 1995 to more than $14.5 million. That is insane and absolutely incredible for that organization. Another massive thing they did was partner with the Civil Air Patrol in an agreement for joint efforts to foster interest in aviation uh, build aerospace education resources, and then provide more opportunities for youth to experience flight. Uh, to me personally, that's huge as I participated in Civil Air Patrol growing up and it did offer so many opportunities for learning and development of knowledge and, and basic aerospace stuff. It just it gets people involved. It really does. And it, it is a community of its own that is fantastic. I highly recommend if you have kids that want to get involved in aviation to check it out. And you can also check it out and get involved as an adult. Something you can keep your eyes out for this week for release is uh, Spencer's interview with Markian of Active Duty Passive Income. Uh, they talk about you know what it is. They talk about real estate investment. They talk about how. Active Duty Passive Income began and the future of where it's going. They also dive into NFTs and blockchain, as well as discuss the Brotallion NFT project in depth. Look out for that episode later on this week. Uh, Spencer did a great job, and it's going to be an awesome uh, episode and super educational uh, for all of our listeners. Expect that to be dropped both on YouTube and via the podcast. So stay tuned to check that out as well. In recent military news, as most people saw, the United States Army has been testing an autonomous UH 60 Blackhawk, basically a version of the Blackhawk that can be remotely controlled. Now, this actually fits into the bill of what the newest DoD acquisition nominee, Bill LaPlante, told the Senate Armed Services Committee in his nomination hearing on Tuesday. He says, A failed test is one where you don't learn. Now, he goes on to say, The Pentagon is very risk averse and is hesitant to run a test unless it's sure it's going to succeed, whereas our adversaries have a different philosophy. He placed specific emphasis on the military needing to move to emerging technologies such as hypersonics, quantum sensing, artificial intelligence, and autonomous devices. His overall goal is to open up the acquisition process, to include small businesses, to run tests, accept failures and learn from them, and then provide soldiers on the battlefield with better technologies to help them succeed in the future fight. Now, the newest nominee's ideas are actually pretty in line with the Air Force's next budget proposal, which includes a large emphasis on mixed manned fighters and bombers with autonomous combat drones. Now, this is so important to Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall that it actually makes up two of his seven operational imperatives that he outlined in his March 3rd keynote address to the Air Force Association's Air Warfare Symposium. Kendall reiterated that his belief that the next classified next generation air dominance, or INJAD, concept should be combined of up to five unmanned, autonomous, and attributable aircraft controlled by a single pilot that is calling plays for the drones to follow. The F-35 specifically could also be teamed up with an unmanned aircraft, he said. Now, this idea plays into the overall concept uh, on a larger scale of moving towards manned and unmanned teams to include rotary wing aircraft integration such as the AH AH-64 and other platforms that do already integrate or attempt to integrate unmanned aerial vehicles into their operational requirements. Now, some would obviously ask why utilize unmanned sources. Well, the whole goal with these programs are to increase operational capability while reducing operational costs. Now, for today's primary topic of conversation, no-fly zones and what they mean. Now, most of us military or civilian pilots know and understand what RASs, TFRs, restricted areas, etc. are, uh, as well as like air coordination areas, all the whole gamut of... Imposed flight restrictive areas here in the U.S. or potentially overseas, but the meaning and implication of a U.S. or NATO imposed no fly zone over a country bears far different weight and requirement. Now, similarly to the types of airspace that I previously mentioned, at its most basic level, a no fly zone still is an aerial occupation of a designated three dimensional geographic area or space. The difference is and no fly zone is where certain types of flights are prohibited. In this case, adversarial flights. Now, this is different from uh, operations that can sometimes occur to help enforce economic sanctions or prevent drugs or illegal smuggling or things of that nature. It is a very specific type of air control uh, that does occur to basically establish air superiority, air dominance, and prevent adversarial use altogether. Now, over the last month or so of the war in Ukraine, we have heard repeatedly uh, from the White House and the US that the US and NATO will not impose a no fly zone over the country of Ukraine. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, a no fly zone basically prevents a country or adversary from utilizing aircraft to attack military or civilian targets on the ground inside that designated area. Obviously, in this case, it would be Ukraine. However, In our modern environment, simply declaring an airspace off limits isn't really enough. So to ensure that basically that airspace is owned, that would then throw NATO into the position of patrolling and essentially committing to air dominance in that designated area. This includes radar, EW, communications, all of the above in order to ensure complete air superiority and enforce that no-fly zone. The secondary considerations, or I should say that the byproduct of this is the potential to put NATO in direct conflict with Russian military forces or, you know, Russian allied military forces uh, in the Ukraine region. In order to enforce that no-fly zone, they would be authorized to engage any violators of that airspace. So in an effort to avoid bringing NATO into direct action and direct conflict with Russian adversaries, they have elected at this time to not impose a no-fly zone over Ukraine, despite it being asked for several times. Now, the key point is understanding that in order to enforce a no-fly zone and actually deny that air defense network, that would require direct strikes on those radar sites, on those communication sites, thus inevitably placing NATO forces into direct combat engagements on adversary targets. To highlight the severity of action that this would impose, Russian President Vladimir Putin warned that any move to create a no-fly zone above Ukraine would be viewed as participation in the conflict. He said, that very second, we will view them as participants Of the military conflict, and it would not matter what members they are. From a political standpoint, the aisle stays pretty split on this topic, with several supporting a no fly zone and the enforcement of it, and several definitely against it. Granted, in an emotional address, President Zelensky did slam NATO for rejecting his pleas for a no fly zone, arguing the decision was giving Russia a green light to continue shelling targets inside of Ukraine understanding that a no-fly zone would also implicate a full-scale NATO air campaign the US and its allies remain reluctant to impose this as well as stand by their position to continue supplying Ukraine with military and financial with I should say military equipment and financial support to provide example of when No-fly zones have been enacted during conflicts. The United States, United Kingdom, and France launched Operation Provide Comfort in 1991 to establish and enforce a no-fly zone over northern Iraq, protecting the Kurds from uh, Saddam Hussein's air forces at the time. And then another no-fly zone was later established to protect Shiite Muslims in the south. Uh, That no-fly zone continued until the 2003 war in Iraq, uh, NATO also enforced a no-fly zone over Bosnia from April 1993 to December of 1995. Then the UN Security Council authorized a no-fly zone enforced by NATO over Libya in 2011 to protect civilians uh, from the under the threat of attack in their country during a civil war- type conflict there. To give example of those, those were pretty much around the board. Uh, direct military engagements or authorized direct military engagements in those regions. And that simply from an outspied political strategic perspective is not something the U.S. or NATO is willing to commit to at this time. However, NATO, as well as President Biden, have repeatedly say that they will protect every inch of NATO-owned territory. This was reiterated today, March 26, in President Biden's Warsaw address, where at the same time, Shelling and airstrikes were going on in the city of Lviv, approximately 240 or so miles to the east of Warsaw, Poland, which to date have been the closest airstrikes to the Polish border. Now, the question has been asked many times as to whether or not the US or NATO will change its positioning on enforcing a no-fly zone in Ukraine. And political opinion or opinion aside altogether, I would implore everyone to understand the history of military conflicts, specifically the fact that every action, whether it's taken by the US or NATO or its allies or an adversary force, has an effect. And those effects are what drive decisions. So I think to say an ultimatum, no, it will never be done, would be far fetched. However, I would also equally say that the financial implications and resource implications and loss of human life implications that NATO involvement in Ukraine would incur would be exponentially worse than what things are now. Now, that's not to say that things are not bad for the Ukrainians. There are hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians that are currently reported to be taken captive. There are millions displaced from their homes, and there are thousands that have lost their life. And our wholehearted thoughts, prayers, And best wishes are with those that are affected by this conflict. And while right now it may seem far-fetched or delusional to think, I think the best that any of us could truly wish for is for conflict resolution and the end of this war to occur without further loss of human life. We would like to say thank you again to all of our continued support for the Pilots' and Bretalion. You guys make what we are passionate about possible and it means the world to us. We look forward to sharing with you our upcoming content, including uh, marketing with active duty, passive income, as well as a collaboration with uh, Jeff and Jonathan from the Hangar Z podcast. That's going to be coming out here very soon as well. But we definitely want you guys to start checking out the Brotallian YouTube channel, where pretty much all of our content that is being released on the podcast will be replicated uh, in a video form as well. We hope to get our editing skills down enough to where that is quality content for you and is available to you across more platforms. Thanks everybody for joining and we'll catch you next time on the Bios Lounge.